Tonight's reading is from uh, the Gospel of John, just John, John 15, verses 1 to 17. I am the, the, the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown to the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourself to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remained in his love. I have told you this, so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for, another, for one's friend. You are my friends, you do what I command. I no longer call you servants, because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends, for everything that I have learned from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command, love each other. John, uh, good evening everybody, everybody here and online. My name's Stuart, I'm one of the pastors here at Soul Revival and if you're at Kirui today and I haven't met you yet, I'd love to say hello if you're visiting with us and as Jai said, there's lots of great ways to find out bits and pieces about Soul Revival if you want to do a bit more uh, looking into it. You could talk to Louise at the Hub as you go out about the newsletter for example and um, yeah, I'm really proud of that little uh, piece Elijah wrote in the newsletter this week too because he's my son so I was, I was very proud of you with that Lodge. very good writing skills so yeah if you want to see that also if you don't want to sign up to the newsletter but you'd like to read the article I could show you tonight if you want to you could just have a quick read it's pretty good um, I want to say that I'm really excited to be here tonight uh, this is my first sermon for 2023 and I think that when you come to the beginning of a new year you're often like thinking back to the things that were and looking forward to things that you hope will be and um Last year, we, we celebrated our 30th anniversary of Soul Revival. Soul Revival started as a youth group at Gaim Ranglican Church just down the road in 1991. Well, that's what we said last year when we celebrated our anniversary, but I've got some shocking news for you tonight, some news that not many people know, and that is that actually Soul Revival started a lot earlier than that. In fact, Soul Revival started in Miranda Cinema in 1985, and I want to show you why. Ethan.
you go. Ali Sheedy rounds up that little minaret there tonight. What a cracker of a pose that is. Can you see that generation angst actually oozing out of the screen there? Well, I did back in 1985 when I first went to see that movie for the first time. Um, 1985 was a year that The Breakfast Club came out and it was a pretty simple movie by John Hughes, uh, really. It was based on the premise of a number of young students who all were in detention at school, in high school, in Chicago, in America. And they, they did... The premise of the movie is that they had to come in on Saturday to do detention. Now, I never, ever got detention, ever. I never got in trouble at school, ever. So I found it really hard to relate. Actually, I used to get in trouble a lot. I used to get in trouble for talking too much, which probably doesn't surprise some of you who do know me very well. But um, detention in Australia wasn't Saturdays. It was just like stay back at lunchtime or something. But this movie, they have to stay the whole of Saturday in detention. And the teacher, who was dressed like Barry Manilow in the clip, you could probably, those of you who are a bit older might get that joke, but I'm not going to tarry on that because those of you younger probably won't think it's funny even if I explain it. But the, the teacher is from another generation. He's, he's from the 70s. These guys are in the 80s. This is like a new generation. And so he doesn't get them and they don't get him. As they all get dropped off in the morning, you see that each of the students have tension with their parents too. So there's a lot of tension going on in the movie. The parents angry at the kids, the kids are angry at the parents. But what I found most interesting about the movie was the kids were angry at each other. Now, in this movie, uh, it did reflect a little bit of my experience uh, growing up in high school. I'd love for those of you still in high school to let me know afterwards if this is still the case in high school these days. But in high school, there tends to be groups that kind of form. You get the cool kids that all get together and they're almost cool because they don't let some people in. You know, they, they might be cool for lots of different reasons, but if you keep some kids out of this group, then for some reason there's a whole population of teenagers that desperately want to be in that group, and that makes that group cool. Well, in the movie, the cool group of the sportos uh, represented, or sporty guys, represented by Amelia Estevez, and the really uh, attractive people like Molly Ringwald. Now, I've got to admit, I did have a massive crush on Molly Ringwald straight after this movie. Some people like Ali Sheedy from that movie. I'm a bit of a Molly Ringwald kind of guy. And um, anyway, but Ali there, she was right out because she was seen as a loner, so she didn't have any friends. There was a nerd there in the room, there was a sporting person, there was a, a really attractive Molly, and there was a criminal by, played by Judd Nielsen. And all of them didn't get on at school. So the real tension in the movie is not about actually the parents and the kids, it's actually about the kids will not getting on with each other. Did you experience that in high school or are you experiencing that in high school? If you feel brave enough, put a little hand up. Anybody experience a bit of that in high school? <laughs> we have a high school teacher here. Two high school teachers feeling left out. A primary school... Something going on with the teachers here. We might have to debrief that after the service. But what, what, what we've got here is a situation... Some of you may have had a cruisy high school, but high school can be real tough. Now, what's interesting about this is a lot of teenagers when I was growing up, had the impression that you could only be friends with people who were like yourself. So you'd look for people who had the same interests as you and the same style as you. If you were lucky enough to get in the cool group, you were in that group. If you were, what, and if you're Ali Sheedy, you miss out altogether. Now, what happens in this movie, that and the reason I wanted to raise it tonight, and the reason I say that it's actually the thought of Soul Revival, is because what happens in the movie is something really unexpected. They spend the whole day with each other, and at the end of the day, they become best friends. Spoiler, yeah. I think, I think Liam was waiting for that. That was a really good moment, Liam. Um, 
they, they actually become really good friends. And they all say, you know, that they want to be friends, but how are their groups going to accept them if they're all friends with each other? And there's all these complications. But the idea was born in my mind, hey, people don't have to be like each other to be friends. Now, the, the problem for me growing up was when I was in high school, not only was there people choosing to be friends with people who were like them, but in my local church, that's how it was too. And even amongst the teenagers in my church, there were some who didn't like me and some who liked me. There were some guys who played rugby league and I liked soccer more than rugby league. Now, you'd think that's a fairly trivial thing. Surely, people who like sport could be friends. Oh, no. No, no. I was called all sorts of names because I didn't like rugby league as much as soccer. And so, I was actually excluded from that group of mates. I liked surfing, but I didn't surf well enough to be considered a surfer. <laughs> Surfing's an interesting sport. You don't just grab a surfboard and paddle out and be a surfer like most sports. You actually have to prove yourself to all the other surfers before they recognise you as a surfer. And so I found church just as lonely as I found school. Have you experienced that in church? Have you tried to break into a church where you've been struggling to find people who are like you and, and he, there seems to be all around you groups of people who are really good friends with each other, pleased to see each other, having conversations... But when you walk over to the group, they seem to all, not deliberately, but sort of turn away when you come or they don't accept you into the group as easy. It's actually human nature, isn't it, that we like people who are like ourselves. But the thing about this movie that I loved was imagine a world where young people and everybody actually could actually like each other. Well, I thought about that and as I was leaving the cinema, the thought occurred to me, that's what Jesus wants us to be like. Jesus actually wants us to be like the breakfast club. And it was such a transforming moment for me that I thought to myself, I don't want to just be involved in a church where there's everybody like me. I want to be in a church where no one's lonely. That's what I want. Now, I spent the next 30 or so years trying to express that as much as I can and regularly I fail, I don't do real good at it, even though our church is based on this idea that everybody's welcome and everyone can be friends, sometimes we get it right, sometimes we don't. But isn't it a wonderful aspiration not to come to church to be with people who are like you, but to come to church so that nobody is lonely? Well, that movie influenced me so much that when we got to go on holiday last year to Chicago, we took these photos. <laughs> Ethan, Katie, me and Lou and Elijah are there outside Sherman High School, which is now a police station. We loitered. We continued loitering. Lou loitered. And then the security guard noticed us. <laughs> the security guard noticed me when I was lying in the star position on the ground where the cars had pulled up to let the people out to go into the thing where Molly Ringwald had walked up the stairs. And he didn't come to move me on. He said, I've been watching you. And I know you're a real fan. 54-year-old <laughs> Stuart flying on the ground looking up at the security guard saying, yes, I am a real fan. <laughs> and he said, we only let real fans come inside the police station. And so he took us in there and that corridor is where you see the kids running up and down the corridor in the movie and he let us in. And that, I don't remember his name, but he's a nice guy. And he's a policeman. Why is... <laughs> Why was that moment so influential on me? Well, when I thought about the idea of, hey, wouldn't it be beautiful if everyone could be involved and no one was lonely, I was surprised that heaps of other people thought that was a great idea. 
The thing about Soul Revival is that, number one, we're just a church. That's the first thing. We're no different to any other church. But we have a few little differences that make us a little bit different because we don't have services for certain age groups. We don't have um, ministries for certain types of people as much as we can because we're trying not to encourage a mentality in people that we just serve Jesus together with people who are the same age, the same demographic, the same class, the same wealth status, the same sporting interests, the same cool. We also encourage us in church not to to think like that as we gather in that all-age, all-stage expression we talk about because when everybody comes to look after someone else, the theory is nobody's left out. Now, like I said, we don't always get it right. But what I want to say tonight is I think Jesus gives us the solution to loneliness in that, number one, he is our friend and will always be with us. And number two, he asks us to be friends with each other in his name. And interestingly, he gives us the strength and the power to be friends with people who aren't like us. So we heard a passage from um, John 15 tonight, which is very famous, where Jesus says, I am the vine and you are the branches. And that is an intimate example of what Jesus is trying to create in his relationship with you and me. He is God. And he's saying, if you stay with me, if you stick with me, you will be like a beautiful branch on a vine that will bear a lot of fruit. And what's the fruit that you'll bear? It's love. Because at the end of the day, that's what is the solution to loneliness, love. And not just love for some people, but love for everybody. In fact, when Jesus was asked, who is my neighbour, when he was saying we should love God first and love our neighbour second in Matthew 22, 37 to 40, he said a parable that tells us that everybody is our neighbour. And it actually is possible to be friends with other people in the name of Jesus. And so what I want to do tonight is I want to encourage us that loneliness has a solution. Now, I want to say that I think there's probably tonight, there's going to be some of us who've come along who are feeling like we've got lots of friends and we're not feeling a particular need for loneliness at the moment to be solved. But there'll be others of us here tonight who are feeling lonely. And it's not just new people or certain demographics. Everybody feels lonely. Everybody does. In fact, the Australian Institute of Health and Welfare website says that social isolation and loneliness is a universal experience of human beings. We all feel lonely at certain times. And actually, loneliness can actually be super harmful for our mental health and our physical health. Since COVID, physical isolation and lockdowns have exasperated pre-existing risk factors for social isolation and loneliness amongst a lot of people. And you might be, have experienced that yourself. In fact, I reckon the whole of last year I hadn't really got my, myself together in my head uh, about relationships as they were and everything after all the COVID stuff. And even now I'm still adjusting to a lot of things. You might be like that too. But in surveys undertaken since the outset of COVID pandemic, just over 54% of respondents reported that they felt more lonely since the start of the pandemic. That's not a surprise, is it? But what is a surprise is subsequent surveys have found people are still feeling just as lonely. It's not all about COVID. Our society is becoming more and more individualistic and more and more consumeristic. And the fastest growing household in Australia at the moment is people living alone. Now, being alone doesn't make us lonely, but it can be a contributor. I was on... Um, uh, I was on a conference for Cronulla Sharks uh, NRL Club wellbeing team a couple of years ago and 
they had asked a, an American lady to come out from American NFL to give a lecture to the wellbeing teams of Australian NRL, which is the rugby league. And she said that in America, they were talking about the fact, this is in 2017 this was, they were talking about the fact that the next pandemic that's coming across the world is loneliness. That you see it amongst elite sports people, you see it amongst administrations, even the people looking after people are feeling increasingly lonely. So what are the, some of the causes of loneliness? Well, funnily enough, social media is a cause of loneliness. We've never had so many friends, but yet, do we really have all those friends? Not having a close confidant that we can talk to and trust is a cause of loneliness. Poor health can create loneliness. The death of a loved one, financial problems. In, in fact, um, one thinker, Wiesbound, which is a word I don't know if I pronounce properly, says that the symptoms of loneliness tend to cause a downward spiral. When you're lonely, you feel rejected, so withdrawn and become critical of yourself and people around you. So the problem with loneliness is spiralling out of control in Western worlds. What's some of the outcomes of loneliness? Feelings of sadness, emptiness, discomfort, disconnectedness, feelings of being left out or isolated from others, a longing for companionship, feeling that you're misunderstood or not heard, feeling isolated even when you're surrounded by others. And that can even happen in the church. You can be a long-term member of a church and walk around in the church and think to yourself, I don't think anyone would notice if I wasn't here last week, next week. Feeling exhausted can be a symptom, burnt out by social interactions, feeling insecure, ruminating and self-reminiscing on the past all the time. <clears throat> like watching 80s movies in church and then preaching about them. More severe symptoms of loneliness can include... Uh, decreased energy, insomnia, trouble falling asleep, sleeping for more than usual, feelings of worthlessness, withdrawal from social events, and it can even get worse than that too. So loneliness can actually change us. But the Australian website said that there's things we can do to avoid loneliness. Um, we can have companion animals. I'm really excited to see Nikki with her beautiful dog. A dog is a really good companion animal, and I'd like to uh, say that if you're a cat person... Uh, or a dog person, doesn't really matter. If you're a lizard person or a snake person, it's really nice to have animals around. And if you don't want to have one in your house, it's nice to go to the zoo every now and again and visit animals. There's something about being in proximity with animals that can be really soothing. Caring for others is actually a way of reducing loneliness. Work, engaging in volunteer work, sporting and community organisations. Now, what I find about those solutions to loneliness on the website is... I find the interesting one, caring for others, was registered there. Because in the movie The Breakfast Club, the way that the people in the movie start to become friends is not because they sit there and they wait for someone else to notice them. In their interactions, they end up having certain ones... I won't wreck the whole movie, because uh, it sounds like Liam really wants to see it. That the interactions between the, the, the actors is that one or two of them start looking after the others and it creates a new dynamic. Instead of there being competitiveness and fear and a kind of like weighing up of each other, skirting around, talking about deep things, they start going deeper with each other and at the end of the movie they sit around and they actually pour their hearts out to each other. It's a really beautiful moment. What I find interesting about that is... It seems to me that well-being teams like I'm part of in the NRL are starting to come 
to similar assumptions about loneliness and the solutions of loneliness to what the Bible says. Wouldn't it be a surprise if actually all along God has given us a solution to loneliness? Well, first of all, I want to say when the Bible teaches us about these topics, in Genesis chapter 2, 18, we're told that God has not intended us to be lonely. Genesis chapter 2, 18, the Lord said, and it'll come up on the screen, the Lord God said, it's not good for the man to be alone. I'll make a helper suitable for him. So God made Eve for Adam, and he'd already made Adam for Eve. There's a beautiful reciprocity in that relationship. That yes, it was important that Adam and Eve were friends with God, but God also recognised that they needed some of their kind to be able to live life with. It's important, it's how we made. Now, we all have different personalities. Some of us are extroverted like me, some are introverted and get a bit exhausted with human interactions. But on the whole, there's a level where we all like to know that we've got one or two people in our life that we can do life with, together with. Now, the aspiration we have is for close friendship. Human beings tend to really look for someone to be friends with. And in fact, we see the aspiration of friendship in Proverbs chapter 17, verse 17, don't we? Have a look at this on the screen. A friend loves at all times. A brother or sister is born for a time of adversity. Isn't that a terrific definition of a friend? Imagine if you had someone in your life who loved you at all times and actually was always there for you even when you were hard to love. Either because you made yourself hard to love or because your circumstances made it difficult to love you. Because someone would be prepared to step into the craziness of your hurly-burly life despite what happens. Because why? Because they simply love you. That's the aspiration we all have. We long for good friends, but we also know, don't we, that relationships are two-sided. Just as we look for a close friend, we can also find people in our lives that are unsafe. And the Proverbs actually talk about that too in chapter 16, verses 28 to 30. Have a read of this. A perverse person stirs up conflict and a gossip separates close friends. A violent person entices their neighbour and leads them down a path that is not good. This is the difficulty we have in relationships in a fallen world. When Adam and Eve were first made, they had a perfect relationship with God. But as soon as they turned their back on God and sinned against him, rebelled against his definitions of relationships, what was the first thing Adam and Eve did? They put on clothes. Putting on clothes was symbolically they were protecting themselves from each other. Minutes before, that it never occurred to them that the other person could be a threat because that other person was a Proverbs 17 friend. Before they sinned against God and became selfish, their friendship was Proverbs 17. A friend loves at all times and a brother is born for a time of adversity. Adam and Eve had each other's back. But as soon as they rebelled against God and ate the fruit off the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which God had told them not to eat off, they rejected God's law for relationship. And as a result, their relationship was impacted. Isn't that sad? And we know that it only took a generation before there was the first murder within the human race because things just spiralled down and down. Well, Proverbs 16 brings to our minds one of the reasons why sometimes we're a little bit careful about relationships. Because on the surface, someone might seem reasonable and kind, but we actually worry, is this person going to tell stories about me to other people? If I trust this person with my deepest thoughts, could they possibly use those thoughts against me and ruin my other relationships? If you're like me, you've had difficult relationships with other people. 
And actually, those difficulties in verse 29 can actually get so hard that actual violence can be a part of that. And by the way, if that brings up any difficulty for you tonight, please come and see one of the pastors after church. We'll, uh, we'd love to talk. Um, there's also lots of people to talk to here if you, if you need support. But we know, don't we, that people can actually, rather than being a treasure in our life, can be our biggest problem. It's difficult. Look at verse 30. We can be tricked. Whoever winks with their eye is plotting perversity. Whoever purses their lips is bent on evil. The problem is people lie to us. They tell us they love us, but actually they don't and they're trying to use us. So as a Christian, how do we actually go about solving the problem of loneliness if we have the aspiration for good friends, but we know some people can hurt us? Well, I think it starts with John chapter 14. In John chapter 14, Jesus says this to his disciples, verse 18, I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. Now, what is Jesus talking about there? This is just before the section that we heard read earlier. And what Jesus is saying is he's hinting to the fact that even though he is going to die, he's not going to leave his disciples alone. He's going to send the Holy Spirit to be with his disciples so that they're not alone. But we've, some of us who are Christians and gone to church for a while have heard that. And if you're not a Christian here tonight, and that's a bit strange, again, feel free to come and have a chat with me afterwards. But what I want to make a point about here tonight is that Jesus is inviting us into such an abiding relationship that he'll be even better than a Proverbs 17 friend. Have you ever thought of Jesus like that before? Jesus himself is not just saying, hey, I can offer you a church so you can find friends. I've created this church, knock yourselves out. He's saying, I will be committed to you. I will be your closest confidant. And I will be there for you in good times and bad. And as Proverbs 17 says, at all times I will love you, even times of adversity. In fact, the Christian knows that this is the first teacher in history that promises that even though he will die, he will continue to lead us after his death. Not only did he come alive again after they killed him and ascend into heaven to be seated at the right hand of the Father, but he sent the Holy Spirit to live in our hearts so we'll never be alone. This is why in John 15, 5, he can say, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me, I in you. You will bear much fruit and apart from me, you can do nothing. So basically what Jesus does is he wins for you on the cross the status of being his child and his friend. Well, brother, actually, because the Heavenly Father is our Father. But Jesus says, just as I am one with the Father, he goes on later and says, so you are in me and I am in you and I'm including you in this beautiful relationship I have with the, my Heavenly Father. There's a oneness there that every Christian gets to be a part of, not just some. There's no cool groups in Christianity. You know, at Pentecost, the disciples were standing there in Jerusalem waiting for something that Jesus had promised and it was the arrival of the Holy Spirit but Jesus had said go and be in Jerusalem and wait for me and while they were there a massive wind comes and fire comes down out of heaven and then the Holy Spirit comes down on who? All of the believers. So Jesus isn't up in heaven being like Molly Ringwald just picking all the cool pretty people. Jesus isn't up in heaven picking all the young people or the rich people. Jesus isn't picking all the people who like the same sport as him. He's picking everyone to be a part of this, so much so that even the foreigners who were there at the time, who weren't Jews from Jerusalem, but are Jews from elsewhere, who'd come to the festival, 
saw that there was this inclusive new community that was born that day. Now, I want to say that the aspiration for us being a community that is not divided started when Jesus said, I am the vine and you are the branches. Every Christian is like a branch who gets connected to one vine, not many vines. Now, I don't know how this is all going to work out, but when we get to heaven, we're not going to have denominations anymore. I don't know if you've thought about that. We're not going to have different churches anymore. It's good for us to be in a denomination and it's good for us to be in local churches, but won't it be wonderful when we can fellowship with all the believers all the time at the same time? When we look around at different churches, they take on different flavours, don't they? Sort of like different preferences that different Christians have, and that's okay, there's nothing wrong with that. But in heaven, what does John see in his vision in Revelation 21? He says, all people are gathered together in front of the throne singing together. So my thought is, if we are one, let's try as best we can to express that in our local church and between our local churches as best we can. For us as Bible-believing churches to work together despite our differences is actually not that at all. It's actually work together because of our differences. One of the most exciting relationships we have as a church is with an Aboriginal community that's 10 hours' drive to the northwest of us. There is no practical reason why the Aboriginal community church in Bawarana would have anything to do with us. And there's no practical reason why we would have friendship with them either, unless we all love Jesus. And because we love Jesus, for many years we've got to meet each other and become very close because Jesus has brought us together. And the beauty of that is that magnifies the glory of God because people go, why are people from Sydney best friends with Aboriginal people in Brewarna? Why? why? What, what is there to gain out of that? They like different sports, they have different backgrounds, they like different music and in fact that's our biggest difference because my best friend in Brewarna, Isaac, likes both forms of music, Western music, country and Western. And I don't like both those forms of music, country and Western. Yet, we are really good friends. He doesn't like ACDC. I'm a bit partial to ACDC on the day. But see, those differences are what we gather around outside of the church. And unfortunately, sometimes we bring those differences into the church. Wouldn't it be wonderful if, like Jesus, we saw that the fruit that we can bear is love from everyone and the only way we can do it if we remain in Jesus? Jesus goes on further in John 15, 15, and he says this, I no longer call you servants because a servant doesn't know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends for everything I've learned from my father I have made known to you. Then he goes on in John 16, 13, He's talking to his friends, not just his servants, his friends. And he says, but when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his home. He will speak from what he hears and he will tell you what is yet to come. So Jesus is saying to the disciples, you are now my friends and the Holy Spirit is going to help you to get more people to become friends with you. Now, I'm a simple person, but I think the only reason Jesus didn't come back this morning was because there are some more people who haven't become Christians yet. I'm fairly simple and straightforward, but I think the only reason we're in church right now is because we are to continue to support one another until we see the day where we meet Jesus and we're to introduce as many other people to Jesus as we can. Simple. It's not very complicated. But the reality is, sometimes church is not the solution to loneliness we would like it to be. In fact, sometimes church can make us lonely. Because when we go along, we might not feel like we fit in. But the first thing I want to say to that is if you are a Christian, you fit in. Not because other people in the church treat you properly, 
but because Jesus died on the cross and reconciled you to himself. That's what it says in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 12 to 16. Remember that at a time you were separate from Christ, excluded in citizenship from Israel and foreigners to the covenants of promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near. Why? Because people at church were friendly to me or because they appreciated my ministry or they really, you know, rang me up if I missed church. (laughs) Those things are good and I hope we do that sort of stuff, but that's not the reason we belong in the church. It's because of the blood of Christ that we belong. Isn't that awesome? So even if I'm not respected or I'm not accepted, I am actually part of the church because Jesus made me part of the church and if you're a Christian, he's made you part of the church too. I find that sensational. But the problem is, some of us are not feeling lonely tonight and we might forget that there are others amongst us who are feeling like they need to be reminded of that fact sometimes. Even though it's true, sometimes I need to be reminded of that. Now everyone has busy lives. Everyone's got lots on and church is just a small part of most people's lives. In fact, in the West, it's becoming a smaller and smaller part of people's lives. The average uh, Anglican in Sydney goes to church once a month. And so if you go once a month and then one of your friends goes once a month, it's possible that you might not see them for quite a few months. Now, that's okay. It's not a bad thing. But the reason the Bible encourages us to try and gather together regularly is by simply turning up we are actually going to be helping ourselves and helping others. How is that? Well, no matter how well you're doing, sooner or later, the wheels are going to fall off in your life. Something's going to go wrong where you look around and go, oh, I need some people. Now, the church is not the only place you can find that, as that wellbeing study said. However, the beautiful thing about the church is that in Hebrews chapter 10, 25, we're encouraged, do not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. You know what I mentioned before, that one of the reasons for church is to encourage each other? It's not just to come to be with people like yourself. It's you can encourage anybody to be a Christian. Now, you might not know Elijah. He was pointed out to you today. But now that we've pointed him out to you, even though you don't know him, at Soul Revival, we don't mind if you don't know someone's name. So if you forget someone's name or don't know someone's name, just say, sorry, I don't know your name, because that's completely fine here, right? But you can say, tell me something about yourself, or tell me about, your, are you a Christian, or what are you here for? You know, By doing that, you're actually encouraging another person, because you care enough to be here. Turning up is a ministry in the church. And the other thing that's really important about that is if there are people who are lonely and sad, That might be the only question they've heard from another human being all week. So one of the reasons I come to church is because I know that someone might not have heard a kind word all week and I might be the first person to have an opportunity to share a kind word with them. One of the things I was struck with in America is Americans say what they think and I love that about America. Now, I haven't had a huge experience like some of you have who are Americans but there's a couple of Americans here. But I was walking through Kmart and this guy looked at me and said, nice glasses, man, and just kept walking. I'm like, what was that? I don't think I've ever heard anybody say that to me who's a stranger. Then Lou got a compliment about a hat. And then all of us in in our little group got compliments in America because Americans were just telling us if they liked something, it was a nice thing. I think as Australian Christians, we could be a bit more like that. Even if you don't know what else to say and you're a bit of a nervous person, a smile might be the only smile someone has had this week. 
and you might not know how important that is. When I see you all coming through the door each week at church, I think to myself, all of you could be doing something different tonight, but you've chosen to be here because you're a branch and you've got fruit to share with other people. And my encouragement to us all is from the movie, my favourite actress in the movie was Molly Ringwald, but my favourite outcome was for Ali Sheedy. Because unlike all the other actors in that movie, she didn't have any friends. And she says in the movie, the reason she came to detention was so she could be with someone. She was so lonely that she got herself in trouble on purpose so she'd have someone to talk to because she had nobody. And if you're feeling like that tonight, Jesus is saying to you, I want to be your friend. And even though these other Christians here will want to be your friend too, they won't be perfect. And in fact, if they do something right, be surprised because they're sinners just like Adam and Eve. Don't expect them to be like me. But let's all try, hey, to express that unity that we will have when we get to heaven. And excuse me, if you can hang around tonight, that's why we have dinner. Particularly you young crew, this gives you a chance to talk to some of the older crew. Older crew gives you a chance to speak to some of the younger crew. But we all have to participate in that to make that happen. And Jesus gives us the strength through the Holy Spirit to do it. Amen.